Welcome to It's Complicated, a podcast about healthcare ethics and practice presented by the Nova Scotia Health Ethics Network, or NSHEN. I'm Marika Warren, network ethicist for NSHEN, and I'll be your host for this discussion. The podcast is now in its second season, and we hope you're finding these conversations useful. I'm joined today by Dr. Ange Cooper, who is a psychologist and the Assistant Dean Faculty Wellness for the Dalhousie University Faculty of Medicine. The ethics collaboration team at Dalhousie was doing some work with Ange around addressing emotions that arise in ethics consultations, and this got us thinking about how and why emotions arise more often in ethics consultations than they might in other consults. So Ange agreed to sit down with us and talk through some of those questions. To start, though, it's probably helpful to have a case example to ground some of the conversation. And so I'll lay out a scenario here that's realistic, but I should be clear it's not based on any actual consult that I or my colleagues on the ethics collaborations team have been involved with. So a 57-year-old patient is recovering after a peg tube placement. The patient has ALS, which means that as the disease progresses, they will lose the ability to swallow. The patient can still take food by mouth at this stage, but they wanted to have surgery done before their ability to breathe deteriorated further. The patient has been prescribed a thickened liquid diet, but the patient's partner, who is their identified substitute decision maker, or SDM, is bringing in solid foods, including cupcakes and donuts. The patient needs assistance from healthcare providers to eat these foods. The team has reviewed the risks of eating solid foods with the patient and their partner, and the patient says they understand the risks, including aspiration pneumonia, but soon they won't be able to eat anything, hence the peg tube placement, and they want to enjoy treats while they still can. The patient tells the team that they're going home in a day or two anyhow and says that they'll continue to indulge their sweet tooth as long as possible. Members of the healthcare team have a range of concerns, including issues related to liability, managing risks of aspiration, respecting patient wishes, living at risk, supporting patients at end of life, and avoiding harm. There is disagreement among team members regarding how they should approach this situation. In addition, some of the patient's loved ones, including their sibling, are putting pressure on the team to make the patient listen to medical advice and follow the thickened liquid diet. After having conversations with both the team and the patient and their loved ones, the unit social worker calls for an ethics consult to help both the patient and their loved ones, as well as the team, address the ethical concerns that they're all experiencing. When the ethics consultant calls the requester back, they have a discussion about how ethics support can help. Since there isn't a significant ethical question about the patient's ability and right to make healthcare choices, even if those choices are challenging, the ethics consultant feels that a conversation with the patient and their loved ones is beyond the scope of ethics support in this case, and suggests that other forms of support for the patient and their loved ones could be explored. However, the team struggles with reconciling seemingly conflicting professional and organizational values, so to respect the choices of capable patients, but also to avoid unnecessary harms to those patients, as well as the moral distress that can arise in these situations, is something that can be addressed in an ethics consultation. So, given all that, Ange, (laughs) to start us off, can you give us a sense perhaps of what emotions you might expect to arise in a situation like this for everyone involved? Sure. Well, thank you for inviting me to the podcast, Marika. Um, Yeah, this is a a complicated situation. And as you've mentioned, it's not really uh, an ethics sort of question. It's more what seems to be happening emotionally for a lot of people. Uh, And of course, whenever it comes to health and illness and life and death, these kind of questions, that triggers a lot of emotions in people. So each person involved in this scenario are going to have their own cascade of emotions. And some of the emotions that I think about when I'm when I'm working with people are kind of like a handful of, of key emotions which can get us pretty anxious. So 
let's start with the first one, which is love and concern that we have for the, the people that we care about. And so nurses and physicians and practitioners, you know, love and care for their patients. And so does the family member. And hopefully the patient also loves and cares for themselves. And that can conflict uh, when there's difficult choices to be made or difficult decisions that people make. And so when someone we care about makes uh, a decision that that we may personally disagree with, but ultimately it's a patient's choice, that can trigger painful feelings, right? So it might be painful if someone chooses to eat a diet uh, or drink a diet that, that we think may harm them, but ultimately it's not our choice. So there might be something very painful that we have to bear. And then when we have painful feelings, that can lead to anger. And so sometimes we can feel kind of angry about someone's decision, even if it is their choice, okay? And then the next one after that is if we're angry with someone we really care about, we can often feel very guilty. So there are four or five like huge emotions that we might be experiencing all in one moment without realizing. And when we have this cascade of emotions happening inside, we can become quite anxious about that. And, and, and the biggest issue really is that often we're not aware of having this cascade of emotions that are happening sort of automatically in the body. And we're not aware that we're getting anxious about those emotions. And as we know, anxiety can, uh, can lead us to, you know, make non-complex decisions or not think about things clearly. The more anxious we are, the harder we, we find it to think with complexity. And so that's what can happen in one of these kind of challenging situations is in just one person, you have about 10 different things going on, and you multiply that by six, seven, eight, nine, ten other people, that's a lot of things going on. Absolutely. So yeah, that leads me to you know, next question. In a more sort of general sense, I notice when I go in to do an ethics consult, there's often an emotional temperature in the room, which and relates to, again, that sort of cascade that everyone is feeling with sort of different, different uh, balances of various emotions, but certainly all present there. And so I'm wondering from your perspective, you know, because I'm you know, coming in to talk about values, you know, whether that be personal or organizational or often both all together yep. yep. um, or professional uh, in there as well. So why those types of conversations about our values, about what you know, matters to us, why they're more likely to trigger that sort of emotional response in, uh, in the folks who are involved as opposed to other conversations that that team might you know, be having around more strictly clinical decisions, for example? Yeah, I think the first thing is, you know, whenever we talk about our values, we're really hitting what matters most to us. And the thing is, for every single person involved, everyone will have different values. They're not necessarily my value isn't the same as your value, nor would I expect it to be. And I guess when we're in uh, healthcare settings, uh, for example, this patient obviously has a value around eating what they want to eat until they can't do so. And that's something that they value. That may be very different to what the nurse is experiencing in terms of what they may be being asked to feed the patient, which may potentially lead to some harm. And so we have sort of differences in values, but ultimately it's about respect of the patient's values. So as part of our professional decision-making process, we, ha we have to align with the patient's value, but that could lead to harm, which kind of also goes against one of our values as a healthcare professional. So a lot of this is about holding, again, this complexity together. How do I then act? How do I then behave when there's all of these conflicting values and all these conflicting emotions, not just inside of me, but between, you know, between people? And so um, that's not an easy thing to sit with, 
And often as human beings, we like to have answers very quickly. And so um, that can pull us into, you know, maybe trying to change somebody's mind or have an irritated discussion. Say, well, just why can't you just go along with whoever X, Y, Z is saying? Um, and so we want a quick solution. And unfortunately, um, the situation calls for actually more reflection. And that's what I see uh, some of the huge role that ethics consults can have is that in a way, in the heat of the moment when lots of people are having emotions on two sides of a, you know, two sides of a concern, the ethics can come in as a sort of third perspective to be able to reflect and acknowledge both sides and to see if a solution can be found from, from both perspectives, uh, whether there is, there may not be, but I see that's one of the most important roles you have. So yeah, and I think, I feel that, that act of balancing that often we frame the work of ethics as being about recognizing all the relevant values and then trying to find a balance between them. So I wonder if there's a parallel then perhaps between that sort of balancing process that relates to the emotional aspects as well, if it's sort of finding a balance of those that sort of complex bundle of emotions that sort of you as a healthcare provider can live with. So for example, balancing off that love and care for your patient with you know, your concern about potentially being responsible for some sort of harm if, you know, quote unquote, something bad happens because you are you know, feeding them that donut you know, as they asked you to do. Yeah. Yeah. And the potential consequences of that. Yeah. I think in, in the, you know, the current state of healthcare, which is go, go, go fast, 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 there, there isn't that much space to, to spend reflecting on these emotions. And a lot of times healthcare professionals are going home at night and really taking emotions home to think them through when they have some space. And so, yeah, I think these are just very complicated situations. And often we're trying to rectify, you know, the emotions inside of ourselves first, because ultimately what the patient needs is ultimately the, the, the number one value. But it might be that you have to work through quite a few emotions in order to come to peace with that, in order to be able to acknowledge it. I think what's complicated is if you are valuing the patient's decision and uh, something goes wrong and you've come to terms with that, you've accepted that this was the patient's decision, you've kind of come to accept that, but then what if something happens with your professional body or what if, what if you know, your manager is not happy about that? What if then the system uh, starts to maybe accuse you of doing something wrong when actually you were trying to align with the patient's value? So that's another complicating factor when you think about the organizational perspective that the organization may not always support uh, aligning with a patient's values that could lead to harm. And so that's just one of the many complicating factors doctors, nurses, healthcare team members are facing every single day. So yeah, to come back to that piece around you know, the go, go, go nature of healthcare provision and the fact that you know both the sort of emotional work as well as the ethical work is something that takes sort of time and space for yes. a sort of reflective process. Are there strategies that you would recommend in terms of either creating space you know, within an ethics consult or with another context to sort of have that reflection or strategies that help healthcare providers who are taking their emotions and their ethical concerns home with them to sort of do some of that that work that they need to do to come back the next day and continue providing good care? Yeah, they're great questions. I mean, again, some of this might be idealistic because in my ideal world, um, there would be a, a team space where everyone gets to, to chat openly about their thoughts and feelings and their own values and some of the 
the conflict that they're noticing. Um, and really what's crucial in those environments is a sense of psychological safety, right? That one is not going to be punished for one having a conflict about something. So this isn't about someone being right or wrong or good or bad. This is about how do we process conflict. So ideally, I would hope that there can be space, even, but that is very difficult in today's healthcare system to, to think and reflect. That's the first thing. And we also know when we take time to think and reflect, that calms our nervous system down. It reduces anxiety so we can expand to think more with complexity. So that that's really important to try and protect those spaces. And then, of course, in ethics consults, which you do this anyway, but is giving space for those voices to be heard, for those emotions to be, uh, to be processed. And, you know, sometimes... You know, if you think about the word emotion, it means energy in motion, right? And so energy in motion wants to move through. So we have emotions every other minute of the day, really. There's no problem with the emotion per se and no problem with having conflicted emotions. It's can we just let them move through? But when we're in environments where we don't feel supported, we're not supported by leadership, maybe we don't feel supported by the organization or we feel we're going to be punished, that doesn't give us the safety to process these emotions and let them go through. See, the more we're able to let it go, then we, the less we're going to take it home at night and sleep on it, maybe have nightmares about it. That's where you start to get burnt out, where you have no space to let that energy move through, so to, to motion through your body, and then you start to get a build-up from one patient to another patient to another, and, and that's where you can start having some burnout. So Yeah, so looking to really create those spaces because certainly when you go to the the literature around emotions and ethics consults the guidance is often in the literature that we should try to acknowledge and recognize the emotions without letting you know the whole discussion of the ethics consult become about the emotions because i think sometimes there's that the the pain or the emotion that's experienced is sort of sometimes misidentified or mislabeled as being ethical concerns yes. and sort of how to tease those out sort of yeah. thing. So are there specific strategies that you found in your work that really help to open up the channels where that emotion can move you know, and be, be honored, but also not become sort of the dominant the note? Focus. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, they're, they're great questions too, because, you know, again, energy in motion, it doesn't need long to pass through if we allow it to go through. So just simply acknowledging someone's feelings. So for example, yeah, I can see that you're angry about this and I also can see it's maybe triggering something painful for you, right? And so that just takes a few seconds or a minute or two just to allow the emotion to be acknowledged. And then it might be, okay, but we still have to try and make a decision about how we're going to proceed with this case. So so now we've just kind of spent a bit of time acknowledging those emotions. You know, what's your sense of how we go forward? And it's it's amazing to me how much acknowledgement and validation of someone's emotions can just move them through to be able to think with more clarity than what they might not have before. Often we get more emotions, kind of more sense of anger if we don't feel our perspective or emotions is being heard at all. And so this isn't about sticking with the emotions for the whole consult. This is about acknowledging and then moving to, well, what can we do now that we've acknowledged how complex this is? We still have decisions to make. And so I imagine that's kind of difficult in your role because, again, you want to hold the emotion. You don't want to stay them too long, and that's quite hard balance to find. But then you also want to work towards a solution that's going to be beneficial for everyone. Absolutely. It is that, you know, acknowledging and recognizing the connection, again, between those emotions and the values that are the focus of the, the discussion that we're trying to use to guide uh, decision-making. So it sometimes feels like, you know, you're 
trying to thread a needle very carefully uh, in the uh, in the discussion. But I think sort of knowing that there is you know value to creating the space and the openness and to again not trying to suppress the you know, very legitimate emotional responses of everyone involved. And again, recognizing it's a type of conversation that is more likely to heighten rather than subdue um, emotional responses, that that helps as an ethics consultant to sort of put you into a frame where you're able to sort of do the both and yeah. of there are emotions here, but then there's also you know these ethical uh, aspects in terms of our values and ethical work we need to do in terms of balancing those values to find, you know, a path forward that you know, we can all live with, that we can be comfortable with, that doesn't contribute to that burnout, exactly. that enables us all to you know, come back to you know, the work of providing patient and family-centered care, which you know, that's often the, you know, the value or the touchstone that everyone can yeah. agree is, uh, is something that we're doing. Yeah, and I just wanted to add to that, and, and I wondered for you too, is one of the things that I think can heighten emotions is this sense that we're going to be punished because we've done something wrong. And so one of the things I wondered about and which might other people might be interested in is, is one of the roles in an ethics consult to also help leadership to back up some of the frontline healthcare providers who are worried about, if I, if I go along with this patient and if something bad happens, are you going to support me? Are you going to have my back? Is that, does that come up in ethics consults? Is that something that you find helpful to get leadership on board? Absolutely. So there's there have been times when, you know, because we've collaborated with, for example, legal, um, which is often, again, a source where folks have concerns that legal will be upset if they, you know, in this case, you know, act in accordance with patient wishes. So having collaborated with legal in the past and times where they've said, actually, the greater liability in a case like this would be trying to prevent a patient from doing something that they, again, sort of with full capacity and full uh, information desire in healthcare, that that's the the greatest risk. So there's certainly that piece of it. And then there's also work, you know, the way that we've structured ethics support for Nova Scotia uh, in terms of supporting organizations as well, in terms of living out their values and sort of in complex ways, again, because there's the, the very broad values, again, around, you know, healthy populations for generations sort of thing. But what does that mean in practice? And what are some of the um, unspoken values or perceived values of the organization when there are competing obligations around time, money, and things like that? So absolutely, that's a a piece of it, of the, the work that we're doing. There's so much more I would love to uh, to explore with you, but we are running short on time for today, unfortunately. So I'm wondering if you want to bring the discussion to a close with you know just sort of summing up um, from your perspective. You know, what are some of the things that really make it complicated when we do need to do that work of addressing the emotional aspects of ethics consultations and conversations? Yeah, I think if I was going to summarize. Uh, that might be something might be helpful is that human beings have emotions all the time. We are constantly in conflict, though we might not realize it. Uh, the higher the emotional charge of the situation, the more emotions we'll have. And I think when we have emotions, we have a tendency to get anxious and split into bad and good, right and wrong. And I think the biggest thing to remember is that everyone that turns up to work is trying to do their absolute best. They're a good person. Yet, we might have differing values and emotions to the patients we work with. But neither the patient nor the healthcare professional isn't a good person underneath. And I think if we can remember that in everything we do, and remember how hard it is to be in healthcare right now, I think moving towards forgiveness and understanding that that people are making very complex decisions, 
under extreme circumstances with a lot of their own emotions being triggered. I think that's one way we can start to move forward with compassion. So having compassion for ourselves in these difficult times, I think, is is really key. Excellent. I think for myself, too, one of the things I'm taking away into you know, the next consult is just the fact that you know, the sort of thinking that we need to do when we have ethical questions is expansive, is broad, is, you know, living in the in the gray areas and the complexity yeah. and yeah. again that you know that heightened emotion can work against what we need to do in that ethics consult and remembering that as you know a piece of the of the whole picture uh, in terms of again providing that support to help everyone involved feel that they are you know practicing with integrity and you know doing the best that they can Absolutely. to live the values that uh, that matter most to them. So thank you so much, Ange, for sharing your considerable expertise and uh, really, really helpful insight uh, on this with us. And we hope the conversation has been helpful for folks listening. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Marie. I'm very happy that you invited me here. And I wanted to say a big thank you to you and your whole team, because I really think that you also, even though you don't realize it, are part of the burnout efforts uh, in giving people a space to reflect. So thank you. Thank you for that. We appreciate it. So there's other uh, appreciation that I need to express as well. So these podcasts do not make themselves. We are grateful to have technical support from Dalhousie MedIT, production assistance from Lisbeth Wittholf-Nielsen, Kristen Leszko-Skerry, and theme music from Benjamin Capps. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, if you have any feedback, please feel free to reach out. Until next time. (music) Thank you.